Season 2 of the Digital Download Podcast has included an intentionally diverse set of topics and speakers. We've covered everything from Instagram creativity to the value of brutal honesty and featured everyone from Mark Schaefer to rock band Hailstorm. This is the final show in the season, and to wrap things up, I want to revisit and summarise some of the key learnings from the last 10 episodes. The big thing is that robots are taking over the world, but we all have to be human and vulnerable. As much as we're frightened of AI and robots, we're also frightened of being vulnerable. And that's a really interesting problem for brands, because if you don't want to be a robot, but you also don't want to be vulnerable, what are you left with? Kate Hartley is MD of PR agency Carrot Communications and co-founder of crisis simulation company Polpeo. She also belongs to the Digital Download Members Scheme, a private group where curious and progressive communications professionals can share experiences and stories and get advice to help them keep up to date with the latest in the digital communications industry. When we reviewed Season 2, we independently came to the same conclusions, the main one being that despite or perhaps because of all of the current technological advancements, the value of humanity has never been greater for marketers. Vulnerability is how you build trust, isn't it? You don't trust somebody who doesn't show you vulnerability in your, you know, in our, in our everyday lives. So of course that's going to be the same for brands. But it's so obvious when you think about it, isn't it? We have to start thinking as humans, you know, who do I trust in my everyday life? I trust a person who tells me something honestly. I don't necessarily trust somebody who's sitting behind a marketing veneer. Coming up, Kate and I discuss how communications professionals can harness the power of digital technology and blend it seamlessly with elements that only people can bring. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Welcome to the show, Kate. Really good to talk to you this morning. And it must be nice for you to actually have a bit of a break from writing, I'd imagine, because you (laughs) are in the process of writing a book. I am. And it's utterly terrifying. It's lovely to have a break from it. I, I got so excited when I first had this idea for the book and thought, brilliant, I'm going to write a book and told everyone I'm writing a book. And then suddenly I sat down and thought, oh, God, I've got to write a book. And that's where I'm at at the moment. It's terrifying. So it's lovely to have a break. <laughs> yeah, the, the reality, I'd imagine, is not quite the romantic ideal that it sounds like. It's really, really, really not. And it's amazing how distracted you get by things as well. I think my flat has never been cleaner. Everything is ordered in a way that it never normally is. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So this show is a, is a welcome distraction it for really you. It really is. <laughs> Let's feel it that way. This is the final show in the series. And we are going to go over... Some of the things that we have learned through the last 12 or so episodes, because I know you listen to pretty much all of them and you have some views on it in in the same way that I do. So I thought it'd be a great way to wrap up this season with yourself just talking over some of the main themes that have come through this season's podcast. So would you like to give me something that you've observed? Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing is that robots are taking over the world, but we all have to be human and vulnerable. So it's quite confusing, actually. It is. You know, robots are, well, we're going to come back to AI, aren't we? Because it's a huge subject. But I think there was a real theme that went through all the podcasts, and I have listened to all of them, and I think they're brilliant, is about being yourself, being human, being vulnerable, saying sorry, you know, all really human traits. It was it was fascinating. And yet there's so much stuff that we're going to offload to AI and automation that's going to do our jobs better than we do. But maybe that allows us to be more human. Yeah, I think it's spot on as well, because one of the things that I observed was that this podcast, when I started this, a lot of it was with the intention of educating people about 
technology and how the digital communication side of things is going. But I had the same observation when I went back through the season and listened to them again. There was this whole thing coming through about being human and this conflict between the robots and being vulnerable doesn't seem to work in our heads. But I know you had a view on or you'd read something about how AI is actually perhaps better at being empathetic than humans are. This really frightened me because I was writing a paper on this for a client and we were talking about AI in the context of engagement. So things like customer service, social media engagement, whatever. And there's been some research done that shows that AI can actually emulate empathy better than a human agent can. So if you've got a, you're ringing a customer service line, for example, you're talking to somebody and you talk to a human, they might show empathy to your situation, but it's possible that AI could could do that better than the human could do it and get a better response out of the, the person at the other end of the line, which is terrifying, actually. It is. It is. When you think of it like that, it's actually pretty scary, isn't it? I think that's one of the probably fears that people have around artificial intelligence and robots is what happens if we really cannot tell what's a robot and what isn't. And that seems to be a fairly common fear, I think. Absolutely. And there was that wonderful story, which I know was actually turned out to be not quite accurate, but it made good headlines about Facebook um, scrapping its own AI project because robots started to communicate in language that humans didn't understand. That's right. And I yes. know that actually that was that was manipulated for the sake of a good head- headline, but it was a good headline and suddenly everybody thought, my God, that's frightening. Yeah, absolutely. The thing I saw in that theme is that over and above all of these technological advancements that I had set this podcast up for, what has come through for me was that the value of true community is if anything being reinforced by these technologies and and by that i do mean true community so community is a word that's kind of banded about by marketers and and doesn't have a lot of meaning but if you consider community to be niche groups of people with a very very similar interest and that doesn't necessarily mean big groups of people either that seems to be a theme that has come through several of these episodes yeah mark schaefer was talking about becoming known and becoming known within a niche, basically, and focusing on your your prime audience, what he calls your alpha audience. But it was all related to being within that niche, that niche community. We had Gemma went focusing on Facebook groups and how she's used them to help build her business. We had Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm talking about superfans, which again is a niche community. Yeah. And then I had Bronte Huskinson talking about Instagram creativity. And the reason she goes about it is all about building a community of people who would at a later stage be interested in buying a, a book from her. So yeah. that whole thing seems to be coming through again and again and again at the moment. See, this is really, there are two things I think that are really interesting about that. One of them is that in the old days of social media, community was a real thing before social media and kind of marketers slightly appropriated the community term to mean yeah. social media groups and of course it doesn't yeah. you know if you talk to old school community managers Gemma Went probably would say this to you as well if you talk to people who were in genuine communities at the beginning of the social media boom they would have said that social media and community were separate things right that if you were a community manager that was different from being a social media manager and i think we're yes. seeing that again now that we're going back to that idea of specialist communities who are people who are grouped around either a specific interest or a cause or you know a, a brand or a band or whatever it is and that is as you say that's genuine proper community it's a bit of a well there's a question for you do you think it's a bit of a jump for 
the likes of brand managers and, and marketers to get their heads around actually focusing on smaller niche communities rather than the big numbers that have been chased for the last 10 years because of the likes of Facebook. Yeah, I do. And I think that brand managers and all you know, people in PR, people like me, whatever, we tend to think of audiences rather than communities. And we tend to, yes. to use those two things to mean the same thing. And of course, they're not. Audience is just people you you talk to who might be passively consuming your message or whatever, but communities are people who actually really engage with you and are interested in you and have something to say to you. Yeah. And the, the other point I, I realized that the, uh, earlier I said there were two things and then I only said one, which is typical of a PR person. But um, I, <laughs> the second thing was that the thing that creates those communities is you or your brand actually being yourself, having something genuine to say rather than just putting out stuff, pushing information out there. It's, this is really about engagement and creating something that people really care about. And that was something that really came through with the Hailstorm piece that you did, which was stop chasing the radio play, stop chasing the audience, if you like, and sit down and work out something that you really want to do and that people really want to hear. So you're thinking directly about what your fans want to hear from you rather than what's going to get you the best exposure. And I think that's a real change for brands to start thinking like that. It is, and it's a challenging one because, I mean, a, a lot of the people I deal with still, I can't see them flipping their thinking to that in the short term, at least. I, I think the changes that have happened with, with Facebook, for example, mean that people are going to have to because that old reach as many people as you can and be all things to all men is just not valid. I'm not sure it's ever been valid, really, but it, it's increasingly less valid because of all this stuff going on. And that's where the ROI debate is going to become more and more important because actually once you start seeing the return, you know, is not good when you just blast stuff out. I mean, and in some cases you do want to blast stuff out, don't you? If you're, I suppose if you're a yeah. big consumer brand, you want that reach. Of course you do. But you also want the engagement as well. And that takes specialist skills that are not just marketers, probably. It might sit under marketing, but it's going to be specialist people who know how to engage and create content that people want to interact with and all those things. Yeah. And and a lot of this comes back down to something you mentioned earlier, which is around the fact that, in, in short, everyone is a human being. We're all just people. Yes. And a lot of the, perhaps the marketing that's gone on doesn't treat people enough as individuals, as human beings, which, again, sounds an odd thing to say when, when part of what we're going to talk about anyway is artificial intelligence. Yeah. But the value of of humanity and just appealing to people on a very personal level again came through this season time and time again I yeah thought. it really did and I think people are frightened as much as we're frightened of AI and robots we're also frightened of being vulnerable yeah and that's a really interesting problem for brands because if you don't want to be a robot but you also don't want to be vulnerable what are you left with and I think to show vulnerability takes incredible guts actually as a brand or as an individual and it's tough for people to do that and also don't forget, a lot of the time, brands have been talking through a conduit, either through advertisers or advertising or through the media. And now we're having to talk direct to people. Yeah. We're having to be more human and and think in a less corporate way. And that could be quite frightening if you're a big company. Yeah, I think so. In the conversation I had with, with John Brown about this subject, we talked then about the fact that vulnerability is seen by many as a weakness. Yeah. And again, it's a big, big mindset change to to change that over to thinking, actually, do you know what? People appreciate honesty and transparency and vulnerability. And can we as a brand or as marketers, can we actually reflect that back on people? Again, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out, I think, over the next 
you know, six months, 12 months. And vulnerability is how you build trust, isn't it? You don't trust somebody who doesn't show you vulnerability in your, you know, in our, in our everyday lives. So, of course, that's going to be the same for brands. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely. I have observed there's so much in John Brown's terms bullshit going on. There's a lot of posturing around in the world of specifically social media. And it's not just limited to individuals as well. It's it's wider. It's a lot of brands take sort of take part in this. And that undermines that trust, I think. People are getting a bit sick of being challenged to be the best they can possibly be at all times and be across all forms of social media. Yeah. And I mean, John Brown referred to it as being kind of awkward and sinister when it comes to a brand doing this, pressure to be kind of what you're not. My hope would be that that dies a death in the next six to 12 months. I'm not sure it will. I mean, what do you think? I think it will eventually. Well, I think I don't think all brands are suddenly going to be vulnerable. And then also, if we think they're being vulnerable in order to gain our trust, you know, slightly in a slightly dodgy way, then of course that's going to be even worse, isn't it? But um, well, I thought that John, who I, I I adore John, but I think one of the things that he said which was brilliant was internally, do you genuinely believe what you're doing? Do your people genuinely believe in what the brand's doing? And that's such an important question because if you don't, then you're doing something for marketing purposes rather than because you genuinely believe it or you think it's a good thing to do or whatever. You've got to live and breathe your values and be honest internally. And he said something which was organizations will be judged on the promises they break. So if you appear to show vulnerability and openness and then you fail to deliver, that's going to be even worse. And one of the things I'm writing about at the moment in, in this book is how brands break trust, how they how we feel betrayed by brands. So for example, if you're an environmentalist and you drive a car that is supposed to be really good and then you find out it's being falsifying its emissions, for example, you're going to feel yeah. betrayed by that because you've just spent an enormous amount of money on this car that you think is a good thing. You've got yeah. to, the organizations can't just talk about the stuff that they think is right. They've got to really live it. And I know that sounds obvious, but I think you know, a lot of the time brands don't hold up to their brand promises. No, no, I, I would agree with that. It, Again, coming back to this human thing and uh, communities and stuff, they're going to have to start to at some stage. I mean, how that plays out is is a bit of an unknown, obviously, but it's got to have the start at some stage. Scott Guthrie made a good point when I talked to him. We were talking about influencer marketing, and he was talking about how the way to build a proper influencer campaign is all about having affinity with people, which, again, comes back to this human empathy transparency message um, which was just another place that it came through like I say it's going to run through this this whole season which was a surprise to me because that's not really why I set this podcast up (laughs) (laughs) but that's a good thing that that's what it's all about it's about learning from from people and getting their ideas and kind of collating things and and working out the best way to do things and that's again that's a community theme there isn't there in in what Scott was saying because he said that you know it's all about long-term partnerships and the influencers have to genuinely believe in your product so that's the difference I guess from some b2c influencer marketing and I know you have some quite strong views on how that's going to pan out (laughs) in the next couple of years but in terms of b2b they have to genuinely believe in your products you can't just pay somebody for placement and then that's done and the thing the other thing he said is ask people who influences them who genuinely influences their thinking rather than just looking at shares numbers of likes etc ask your employees and your customers who do you believe when they tell you something and if you ask people you're going to get real influence you're going to understand who the real influencers are rather than the people who I know you absolutely adore um, (laughs) (laughs) who you know post something and, and take the money and run 
So there's a lot, lot I think, from what he was saying about B2B influencer marketing that the B2C influencers could learn from this, which is about the creation of genuine partnerships and genuine community, which will create real influence. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and Mark Schaefer even said a similar thing talking about, he was talking about personal branding and about being known in, in a sector. And we had a chat about in that in that podcast about the state of this pressure on people to to do something certain ways and and I mean he made the point that the world doesn't work the way that a lot of these kind of life coaches and people tell you it does I asked him about hustle culture which is one of my big things that I hate on at the moment and I mean he was the making the point that all people care about now is whether you are creating value in my life so all of this bullshit going on this posturing this this non-vulnerability just, as I've said before, it, it just doesn't work, I don't think. I totally agree. I really, I haven't read his book and I really want to read it after that podcast and I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna go and download it on my Kindle when I finish reading all the books I have to read in order to research my own blooming book. <laughs> but he did. He said that people trust people and it's so obvious when you think about it, isn't it? We have to start thinking as humans yeah. rather than as brands. Yeah. You know, who do I trust in my everyday life? I trust a person who tells me something honestly. I don't necessarily trust somebody who's sitting behind a marketing veneer. Um, he was talking about putting your own face out there. And he also said that you might be your own point of differentiation, which I thought was really interesting, that perhaps we look yes. outside ourselves too much to try and find what our differentiators are. And sometimes yep. it just might be that people like you or trust you or believe you or that you do something really well. And that's enough. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Well, that leads on then to an, another observation that I had seen throughout this series, which is that it appears to me that it, it is very much down to individuals to drive this industry forward and to take personal responsibility for that. And I don't, well, I do mean in terms of learning technology, but I think there's a lot of dependence maybe on, on larger companies to arm their staff with what they need to know. Yeah, I'm not sure that is the way this is going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to be the large agencies that are driving this industry forward. I think it's going to be individuals. And Ileana Stareva made a really interesting point for me in, in her podcast where, I mean, she's observed something like 250 odd agencies in the way she's worked with HubSpot. And she made the point that it's it's the entrepreneurs who have gone and set up their own small agencies who, or who've set up as freelancers or whatever. And it's those people who've gone back to the core kind of business revenue question. Yeah. And they have a very different mindset to people who work in large agencies and have just worked in agency life all the way through. And that really struck home with me when I think about when we talk about community, my own community, a lot of that is made up of people who own or work in small agencies or who are independent. And most of them have this very different mindset than I used to experience within agency life. So that was a really interesting thing for yeah. me. Yeah, I think you can get, I think it's about entrepreneurial mindset. I think you're absolutely right. I do think, however, you can get that in big agencies too. And I think there are some really smart people in big agencies who are doing some really interesting things uh -huh. with, you know, we talked about AI, but, you know, in experimenting with different things, of course, they've got the budgets to do this stuff as well. Yes. But I, I agree with you on the, the inbound PR and I I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs who are spending their own money. So they need ROI. The ROI is not a nice thing that you tack on to the end of the program. It has it's the absolute hub of everything you do because it's, you know, you're spending your own 10 quid on something. You want 40 quid back on it, thank you. Yeah. And you really, really have to understand what your audiences want from you and you have to be able to prove it. So 
I think inbound PR is something I've always done instinctively, but never really had a name for, which I think is really interesting. And I'm really pleased now I've got a name for it. And there's a book that goes with it. And, you know, you can say to clients, look, it's not just me telling you this stuff. There is actually a whole a whole line of thinking out here so I love that particular podcast that that episode I thought that was absolutely brilliant but I do think you're getting entrepreneurial people and and it'll be in big agencies and it'll be those people who have the budgets to put behind the methodologies and I mean you know this came out of HubSpot it's not a small organization no that's true so it just it just needs that entrepreneurial thinking I think yes maybe you're right and I don't mean to put down big agencies. <laughs> oh, no, no, I know. I know, I know you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, it was interesting. I saw Dan Slee had posted a, a blog post just this morning, which was all about having what he called punk attitude. And it was saying, basically, learn three chords, form a band, and off you go in terms of the, the punk spirit. Yeah. And he was saying, well, this relates to people who've got to learn all technology and stuff in that learn it form a band and move on and then do the same thing and again and again and again and you have to have that mindset that you are never going to stop learning this stuff because it changes yeah. all the time which was yeah. um yeah I thought it was a really good little blog post just to go alongside with this actually and you basically got to be interested in it haven't you you've got to be interested in it to want to go and learn about it and then you can experiment and have fun with it and yeah absolutely and I think it's reaching a stage with this industry if you are not actually interested in the industry and the way it's moving and about your own career as it relates to technology then you're going to be in trouble actually is my view yeah i agree so let's talk about ai then a bit because this is probably the the biggest issue facing the industry at the moment and i did cover it both in this podcast and at digital download live with stephen waddington yeah the overall message i guess is that we really do have to take this seriously i totally agree we really do and it was i again i loved this episode of the podcast and i loved the session at digital download as well and wads always makes me think actually whenever he talks about anything like this and we had a big conversation at work after that session about what ai could do for our business yep and it was really interesting because one of the people actually who who came out on one of the podcasts is Gemma story who's a copywriter that works with me both on the pr side but also on the crisis side she writes all our well she manages all our storylines and scenarios for for crisis simulations so she's a hugely creative writer and she was naturally quite resistant. She's going to kill me for this, by the way. But um, <laughs> she was naturally quite resistant to the idea that AI could come over and, you know, can come in and take over writing. And then we started talking about it together. And suddenly you could see the light dawning on both of us when you think, imagine if you never had to rewrite a really badly written piece of copy that you got in from a third party yeah. or a client. Yeah. Um, imagine if AI could do that for you. And imagine if a bad translation could just be put right Yep. You know, suddenly you think, oh, that's exciting. I won't have to do that stuff anymore. And therefore I can go on and be really creative. Yeah. And I still think that the sort of creativity engagement will come from humans for the moment anyway. I don't think that's under threat, but I love the fact that we can offload some of this stuff. Yeah, there are two views on it. There are very two distinct views on it, actually. I mean, Wads was saying that he's observed either there is a complete denial about this stuff or there is a sense of techno panic. And I think in the wider community, that's still the case. What pleases me is that the people who have listened to that podcast or came along to Digital Download Live and, and saw Wads and spoke to him and have a far more grounded view of things, exactly as you've spoken about there, who, because people are starting to see the opportunities yeah. and not getting too phased about the robots are coming type conversation, but thinking in terms of, okay, well, what can we do and what can we learn to to ride this wave effectively it's not going to happen overnight and it's not like you can suddenly change an organization to be 
AI enable, for want of a better phrase, overnight either. Yeah. This report highlighted that 59% of PR skills, if you list them out, are probably safe for the next five years or so. Yeah. And I do still harbour this fear that there are a lot of people who will see that and just say, well, do you know what? I don't need to worry about it for the next three to five years because pretty much it's safe. But it doesn't say much for our longevity, does it, in our careers in PR? Feel people get out at 40 or whatever it is. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I, I may be totally wrong. You know, it, it could be that I'm totally wrong on this. It's just that knowing the mindset of some of the people I have worked with at time to time, that's what they will see. It won't scare them enough. Well, we are a people-based business. So it's, it's, I think I can see why people are frightened. It is tough. Yeah. But ultimately, when, when the pressure on budgets is so squeezed and clients are putting so much pressure on us, we're going to have to come up with creative solutions to deliver in a way that doesn't mean that our hourly rate is being you know, suppressed so much or our project fees, whatever. And technology is going to be the answer to that. Automation is going to be the answer to yeah. that. And I think eventually we will see that because it'll be a necessity. I love technology. So some I'm really excited about the possibilities of AI. But there's a part of me also that thinks, are we going to lose, if, if robots really do take over most of our jobs, are we going to lose something yeah. as, as communities? You know, we're talking here about the importance of humanity, the importance yeah. of community. And I think you and I had a conversation about this recently, which is, something I'd read that really hit home to me the other day. Are we looking at what matters in our lives Mm. and is being able to automate something? Are we losing out on what work actually should mean? And work is not just about getting a job done. It's about community and engaging with people and understanding and all those things. Are we going to miss out? And that's the question we have to answer. We have, of course, we have to bring AI in. We have to use tools. We have to automate where we can. But we also have to not lose sight of our own humanity. And that's going to be a really difficult ethical thing to bridge, I think. Well, here's then a thought. At the start of talking, we talked, well, you talked about the whole conflict between the move towards robots and this vulnerability human message that we've seen come through again and again in this season. Maybe it might be that we would move towards, in our industry, move towards that human community vulnerable stuff as what we do and the strategic level as well because that's something that ai can't do yet at least yeah and the robots take care of all the other stuff the stuff like the copywriting and the media relations and the community management in terms of social media community management the stuff that ai can do i love the idea of robots doing media relations (laughs) because you know journalists hate PR people doing media, doing media relations badly anyway, but at least they can tell them to stop and go away. Can you imagine when a robot takes that over, how irritating that's going to be for journalists? <laughs> <laughs> if, it's, if it's not done well, it'd be really interesting. Should we go and build a vulnerable robot? Let's build we one. Let's see, see whether we can make a vulnerable robot. I really like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that would scare people, though. Honestly, that would be the end of everything if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, though. I think let's get rid of the the stuff that we don't love doing and focus, you know, media relations will be much more about building proper relationships and really understanding what people want. Yes. Copywriting will be all about the creativity and the engagement and the human to human connections. And also things like, I mean, what, some of what we do with the crisis side, for example, is creating storylines that are surprising. So, you know, I don't, I don't think yet AI would be able to take a crisis scenario off into a direction that it hasn't learned before in other words one that's going to genuinely surprise people yeah yeah but absolutely you know we're looking at ai to be able to replicate you know if you wouldn't say actually on the the simulation 
we want to have 87 comments that are a bit like this, AI, go and do that. We don't need a human to do that. Of course you don't. But you do on the creative side. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to offload some of the drudge and then free us up to be creative and strategic. And that's where I would love the industry to go. Yeah, I I have to say, this little chat we're having is actually making me feel more positive about things than I have in months. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of the industry becoming more person-to-person based. Yeah. Because I I think that's where a lot of this thinking is taking us from a lot of people who are far smarter than I am and and if if that's the way the industry goes in future, that's not a bad thing by any stretch, I don't think. Totally. It's going to be far better for our margins apart from anything else. <laughs> that's quite true. <laughs> you know, you get rid of the get rid of the stuff that takes off all the, the time. Yeah. Automate it. Yeah. Pay a tenth of the cost. Brilliant. Freeze freeze up all your time to be properly strategic. Maybe we'll stop giving away strategy and pitches. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a change, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for this morning. It's it's really been good to go over everything that's come out of this podcast in the last um sort of three months or so. We'll be back with season three in the autumn, uh sometime in September. If anyone listening has any thoughts on anyone you would like to hear from, any topics you'd like to see covered, please do let me know. In the meantime, though, Kate, thank you very much for your time. Where can people get hold of you if they want to follow this up and talk to you more? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kate Hartley, on my email, kate.hartley at polpio.com or LinkedIn. I'm Kate Hartley there as well. Lovely. Okay. Well, look, I've just had an email from your publisher saying you've got to go back and do some more writing. (laughs) You better get back to it. (laughs) Yes, that's going to be the rest of my day and tomorrow and the next, the foreseeable future, actually, I think. (laughs) Lovely. Thanks, Paul. It's been great talking to you. You too. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.